and welcome everyone. Welcome to another deep dive this Wednesday, the sunny Wednesday that we've got today. Um, hope everyone's doing well, doing well, doing well. Um, as, as per usual, we uh, this this session is to sort of, as, as the name suggests, delve deep into what we heard on Sunday. And I've got myself, Josh, Kerry and Caleb. And Caleb who brought this uh, the message that we heard on Sunday. And boy, it was a message and a message and a half with sort of the the content and the imagery and all of all of it. Um, I don't think it was an easy task to sort of to sort of write. Um, now, typically, we would sort of go through and we would read the entire passage, but because it isn't the entire chapter, and just for time's sake, um, I do encourage read read the passage. But if there's any, as we sort of talk, we're gonna we're gonna sort of pick pieces out of the passage, but we won't, we won't go into it. But not out of context. No, never out of context. And like always, if you've got any questions that stir during this, throw them in, send them to us, even if that's right now, live when you're watching it or whenever. We'd love to answer any of your questions that may come up from this. And I know that there will be questions. Oh, but... and let's just push that right now <laughs> yeah. because this one is absolutely one where you'll have questions. If you don't, then... Um, read it again because <laughs> you should have questions. It's almost written so that you do have questions. Uh, so make sure you do throw them through. Now, like I said, this is so in your in your Bibles. It's it's labelled Jesus speaks about the future, um, which is chapter so Mark thirteen, chapter thirteen, all the way from one to thirty-seven. Um, and so let's just jump into it. This is this is a big one, isn't it? This is this is sort of. Very different, I think, in, in Mark and, and what we've heard previously as we've gone through yeah. through Mark. I don't think we've sort of, correct me if I'm wrong, sort of heard this sort of style of writing or this sort of literature in specifically in Mark. It's the first eschatological writing. There's your big word, but basically just means writing about the end times from Mark. And it's the first time that he's actually addressed Jesus addressing this. Mm-hmm. And and then I think and I think that's sort of quite telling is this if this is the first time this this must be important right you know like I mean all of it's important but you know to really sort of highlight this and especially if you look ahead to what what's to come this being smack bang in sort of what will happen next with the lead up to sort of Good Friday and and everything else and notice that we said eschatological not mm. prophetic because Jesus even in himself has done a lot of prophetic talking up to this point which is recorded predicts his death. He calls out the Pharisees in the temple and stuff like that. So different attributes with, which are about how Jesus does his prophet nature is addressed. But this is the first time he's talking specifically about the end times, which is very different. Yeah. Mm. And so if I'm getting this sort of correct, sort of to, to thinking about it, so him being prophetic is predicting what's to come in his near future? is Or is that what I'm... It, just to clarify what, it's, that, what the difference is. The word is prophet, there. we sort of just narrowed down to this idea about foretelling the future. And there's an aspect of that in the Old Testament and such, but really the nature of a prophet is to call God's people that are out of alignment, out of that way of living with God, to call them out and be like, this is what you actually need to do. And that's why in the sermon I actually said, whenever there's a prophetic mention, there's always an action hmm. because they're out of alignment with God. This is what you've got to do to be back in right alignment with God. And so that whole nature of it, it's not about foretelling, which we often think about. And, and you know, we often, even sometimes in church, will say it's about telling someone what's going to happen in their life. 
That's not the point. Sometimes it's even just dropping a word which is for the person in that space, in that time. That's what we call words of wisdom um, or, or words of knowledge, depending on which translations you go by. But then even you'll have different aspects of it, which is just simply you're living out of this. And, and you might have that close relationship with someone which you can say, you're not in God's light. You're actually living on the, the, the broad, easy path, which isn't God's path. And come back in line with God's path, come back in line. And so the difference here, while it's prophetic in nature, it's because he's calling people out, but like he's, call, he's telling his disciples, this is what you got to do and this is what you got to be wary of. But in its genre, it's actually also telling more about events of the future to happen. Mm, mm. And it's not something that I think that, we in our culture are sort of aware of all the time. But in the Jewish culture, the day of the Lord and what was happening at the end of the earth and when God was going to bring judgment was very much in their mindset of, you know, when was it going to happen? And so Jesus is sort of picking up all of that sort of links to the Old Testament um, and talking about, you know, what's going to happen in the future. Mm. Wow. And I think it's just important to sort of clarify these differences and, you know, and so easy to sort of take one as one thing or one as the other thing or mix and match and, and with that sort of, you know, the, and, and I know for myself lack of understanding and, and sort of just assuming what, what something, something is. Absolutely. And, and just on that point, something that's really easy for you to do as an application, like we're just noticing a difference in genre change within Mark. But then if you start to read different books of the Bible, you'll note they're different genres just straight off the bat. If you start reading something like Job, for example, you need to read it with a different framework than actually you do something like um, Lamentations or Psalms, which are songs and like lament or praise. Or you need to read it differently to how you read Genesis. Um, and, and that's just a really good encouragement across the board. Look up how you should be reading it before you start reading those books of the Bible or even different passages. Yeah, it's just like today if we were reading the newspaper as compared to a novel, which is fiction, as compared to poetry. Mm. When you come to each of the three, you know that it's a different sort of style and so you expect a different sort of um, response from mm. it. Wow. So let's just jump, jump sort of like looking at the start of this and, and, and so they're, they're at the – they look at these temples and um, – I sort of imagine sort of, you know, the, them coming into J Jerusalem, is it? And, and sort of almost like tourists looking around going, wow, like, you know, this is, this is these great things and, and, and looking at the… Singular temple, one. Single temple, <laughs> single temple. But the, the grandness of this, of this temple and, you've, and, you know, like you said on Sunday, you've seen the stones and how, how big they are. And Massive. And, and Massive. These, yeah, expanded like like what, 500 yards, sort of like, you know, like I think in my mind I, I look at this sort of, um, think of these temples as small places, but this was a huge sort of, of place. And so you can imagine sort of as they're coming through, they're just the wonder that they have and then Jesus' response of it'll be all go away. Um, and so let's just look at the, the, the temple um, there. 13 verse 1, let's read it. Let's read it. So as Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the, the impressive stones in these walls. Jesus replied, Yes, look at this great building, but they, were not good, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. So we'll just stop there. <laughs> 
and just sort of think about what what that what what stands out there for for you guys. Well, Kerry, why don't you go first, and then I'll we'll give my input. Yeah, well, I think. Um, like you were saying before, that they were worshipping the temple, mm. something that they'd made themselves. They, they, you look at this magnificent building, isn't it so impressive? Look at what we've done. Of course, it is for God. They've made the temple for God and it's for worship and yet they're sort of magnifying the building itself rather than God. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's that they actually are more admiring of the space than they are God and, and actually the intention for building this grand place, which is to give a gift to God that's worthy of him to live in. Um, and, and that whole thing of that, it, that, that's a really beautiful thought and it's an application we can draw from that in ourselves. Uh, let's take our little church, for example, the stained glass window. Yeah. People beautiful. come in for the first time and they're like, that's an incredible window. Yeah, it is. And it is an incredible window. We kind of lose a little bit of awe for it when we like have been, had it so much because we see it all the time. But it is still a beautiful window. Mm. But we don't sit there and worship the window. Mm. Uh, and, and there is different times and different churches where if they didn't have certain aspects, and, and we probably got some in our own midst too, if that wasn't there, liturgical, I, meaning a part of the service, or just even um, some stage design or something, we'd be like something's wrong. Uh, and so there are churches like that. And I think a lot of churches were designed to give you that sense of awe. Like this one has got a very, very high ceiling. And the idea is that you're sort of, you know, um, you know, looking towards heaven, you're looking towards God. And the idea of the architecture is to inspire you to think about God. But it's so easy then to just worship the architecture. Mm. And it's about not coming to that point of that being your God and actually allowing that to inspire you for God. Um, and I think that's the beauty of this passage is he's saying that on another note, I think there's two other things that I think of mm. and they're different to that one. There's, there's immediately, as we said, this is a prophetic future talking passage and, and it's talking about something to come in the like immediate future. And I think there was a bit of a preparation for like this is this is an introduction to the rest of what he's about to teach his disciples. This isn't going to be there forever. Like there will be a time where it comes to an end. So there's a bit of an introductory statement to that. The other thing that I think of when I read this is actually how Jesus refers to himself as the temple. And he says that I'm actually going to be destroyed. And in three days, I will be resurrected. And I, th I don't think it's coincidental that these words are recorded like this as he's approaching that Easter story, because we got next week the Passover talk, uh, sorry, not the Passover, the, the anointing of Jesus, the following week, the events for leading up to his crucifixion. We have a Passover talk when we're actually doing that at church. So we've taken those two out of chronological order, but it's there. And then you have the resurrection and you have the death the crucifixion, resurrection. And so it doesn't surprise me, this is the chapter before it, it was one of the last events, one of the last talkings, and it's actually saying, again, he's almost foretelling his death. It's not titled foretelling for the fourth time, mm -hmm. but he as the temple is going to be deconstructed and he's going to raise from that into the place of salvation and being an atoning sacrifice. Mm. I think of it, not directly <laughs> necessarily related, but that's what it reminds me of. Mm. And I don't think that's by accident where sort of how important it, it, it is as we're coming to, to those events that even though in our modern day Bibles we get we have 
the labels of predicts once, twice, third, a third, for a third time, and it's clearly labelled for us, but then scattered throughout it all is those um, notions of, of, you know, him being the temple and the temple being crumbled and coming back, you know, it's, it's all sprinkled through it. And, I, you know, and I think, you know, for, for I think it's sort of important because it, one, we get the sort of hard line, this is the prediction of his death. But also, if you're not convinced, here's all the other bit. You know, here's all the sprinkles and all the like the icing on the cake to sort of show the importance of of this this coming and what will, what will happen and the importance of it and why why these events will unfold. And he's all also predicting that the temple will be destroyed as a literal yes. physical as a literal physical war thing happens. Happen. And mm. Yes, which is which is just devastating to the Jewish people because that's the whole centre of their worship. That's where they, mm. they sacrifice to God and without the temple they can't do that whole, that whole service. Mm. just can't be done. And this would have, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, would have been quite challenging for, for the Jewish people um, because it is their, their centre and it's sort of then saying, well, what will happen to Israel yeah. if this happens? And I think that's the beauty of when you start to put that into perspective of the events. When Jesus dies, the curtain's, the curtain's torn. It's split by half. And actually that is one of the symbolic features that there's no barrier between us and God anymore. And, and it's split from the top. To that's the right, bottom. right to the bottom. And this isn't like a thin curtain like you think of your little flat apartment in a curtain. This is like a 12-inch thick curtain. So it's a solid curtain that's blown down the middle and uh, it's this removal of barrier between God and ourselves. And as you're saying, it's not just about the Jewish nation in Jerusalem making their mark with God and living with him like that. It's actually, and then we start to go in it with Paul and all the epistles and John and all those other characters. It's about God being open to the world, that it's not about being geographically located to have a, a uh, moment with God. It's not about sacrifice or any of those things, but it's actually about being able to release it to the world. Mm. Mm. And this is this is just the first part of the passage. No, we've we've only just barely scratched um, the two surface. Verses. Two verses in, and, and we went on some tangents. We the did. literal part is probably the bit that's most contextual most to this, it, though. Is, is the temple will be destroyed? <laughs> but you know, it just sort of shows how how big big this is. And then you know, we go further further down, and, and sort of he sits upon a um, Jesus comes like later that day sits upon a the. Um, on a mountain, you know, across from the valley from the from the temple, and just sort of he's sitting above that temple. You know, there's that imagery of he's sitting above the temple. So even even though these people are idolizing, you know, they or they fall into the trap of idolizing the temple, he's sitting above it. So even then, we get the imagery of even he's above all that, you know, and and all that, and you know, go further. It's just a very geographical thing, mm. just to move the conversation through because we want some to talk about some other points with yes. land, but. Um, in Jerusalem, it is built on a mountaintop. And so that was its major advantage during wartime was you can't get to it because every angle you have, you're looking down at the enemy. And it's surrounded, if you think about it, by all these valleys and mountains. And so the Mount of Olives is actually quite a steep descent and it's this big mountain next to it. So you can actually imagine Jesus just sitting on another hill just outside of the, the city and he's just looking into Jerusalem. Mm. And so we wanted to sort of uh, look at the fig tree, was it? The, 
jump down to verse 28. We, verse we're going 28. towards the end because Moving we wanted along. to talk about this fig tree. Um, verse 28. And so we'll just read out. Uh, where should we go to? Just down to 31. 31. Cool. So now learn, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all, thi- all these things taking place, you can know that the- his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth. The generation will not pass from the scenes before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Mm. We didn't touch on this on Sunday as much. There was a lot to get through. Yes. And... and uh, well, this one in particular, I think because partly, and this is part why it might be good to talk about it now, mm-hmm. is that it's not the first time it's referenced. There's a reference to a fig tree. And, and uh, part of that is it's a reference to Israel. The fig tree is often a reference to the nation. And so like when Jesus cursed the fig tree, it was actually saying, you that aren't bearing fruit, you, you, you're being rejected almost. Um, in the same way, you look at this, and it, it starts to set, talk about that and, and how Jesus is using this imagery in this way in words they understand and what's happening to actually start to give some indication to what needs to happen or what might happen, will happen. <laughs> so in that, before I take it away too much, what stands out for you guys in this little passage here on, on the fig tree? From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Yeah, I think Jesus is saying, look, you you know the signs for when things are coming. You can see, for example, when something is going to bear fruit. Um, and so from nature, we understand that we can not predict but expect that certain things are going to happen. And so he's saying to us, I want you to be aware. I want you to be looking at the signs. I want you to be aware of what might be coming up for my return, Um, which is calling us to be, as you said on Sunday, vigilant, not to be lazy about our faith, not to be lazy about what we think about God, not uh, putting off a decision to follow Christ, but, you know, taking up that... um, desire to follow him and day by day walking that out in faith and then being aware of the things that are happening around the world. And I think, like you said on Sunday as well, every generation can point to things that are signs of the end times, wars and famines and, you know, brother, betraying brother and all those kind of terrible things. So there are signs always for us to say we need to be ready and, and in a way, I think that's part of the beauty of the way God puts it to us because it's not like we can dismiss it. There are signs around us that we can look at so that, that we can't say, well, God, you know, there wasn't any sign for me to follow. Um, and, and so because it's always very fresh and always very potentially going to be that Jesus is coming back, you know, the next second, the next hour, the next week, then there's a certain level of excitement and anticipation and, you know, wanting to give your heart to the Lord. Mm. That's lovely. Mm. I think 
my question, I think, then for for you guys is as so as we were sort of, and I think you know people might also have it. You read thirty one and go, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. And I go, well, oh yeah, heaven will disappear, but then it was like, sorry, earth will disappear, and I'm like, heaven? What? What? No? What? No? But no? What does I, that mean? Like, I, you know? I, I love the question because this is the part that actually I think it's a really good summarization of what's coming, like being presented to every, all the disciples sitting there with him, uh, James, Peter, Andrew, and John. They're, they're asking questions. He's teaching them specifically about this time. And this verse, I feel like, encapsulates it. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And, and I, I mentioned on the sermon that, like, there's some really incredible insights to the human nature in this passages. And we talked a bit about the world's broken and people are broken and stuff like that. But in this verse, I think it also reflects a nature of possessiveness that the human core has. This is our bit. This is my hope even, or this is what I cling to. Um, and in this, it's actually saying, you didn't get it when I mentioned even the birds and the bees get fed, you know, or you don't need to worry about tomorrow. You don't get it in those lessons. But let me try and tell you it this way. Heaven and earth won't be here. It's not going to matter. But actually, what matters is what I say. You know, and it's that recentering on that focus of actually what Jesus has said, what we live from that place and what we do. Because we know there's a promise of a second earth. Well, let me tell you, if you don't know that, there's a promise of a second earth. And that's why it says heaven and earth, because this kingdom's broken. It's distinctly removed from the heavenly kingdom and the earthly kingdom. And we need to live in, God wants us to live in a world where the two are connected. And so that's the whole idea is we're actually going to be in a place one day after this broken world, broken body gives way to where we can be with God in the connected one. So we live in this world, which is perfect, which hasn't had the influence of sin, where we get to live in that space with God. And he said, it's, it's as simple as I am the way, the truth and the life. He who belongs to the Father belongs to me or whatever the end of that is. But if you follow his words, that's the way you're going to get there. Yeah. So there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. Mm. So it's not to the heaven that we think of as when you're going to eternal life uh, named... Pearly gates and golden streets. (laughs) (laughs) The heavens and the earth are what we see here and now. Mm. So everything that we we see here and now is going to pass away because, as Caleb said, it's broken. Mm. Um, And I think Paul says, you know, the whole earth groans under the weight of sin. Um, And so, you know, even the earth is suffering because of our sin. And so God is going to just remove that and create a new heaven and a new earth where there won't be that effect of sin. Mm. Yeah. And, and could you then also sort of extend it to it's on this earth your slice of heaven that you've you've made? Because you're saying even the good the good parts of your own life. Well, let me adjust that. Mm-hmm. I want to. I would say that heaven is when you're in union with God. That is, to me, the probably best definition of what heaven is. And so your slice, as you said, is actually when you've made that decision to live with God. And that's why come on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Like it's actually about starting the life now, living in union with God now, doing the life from now, not wasting any of that time because we so desire to be so caught up and wrapped up in that relationship with God and actually moving into whatever physical, tangible, like spiritual realm the next one will be. But it's about starting it and being in union with God. Yeah, it's a foretaste. 
God gives a foretaste of what it's going to be like in heaven. And so all those incredible experiences that we have now with God or with other people or in union or whatever, they're a foretaste of that beauty of the presence of God continually. Yeah. Mm. That's good. It's good clarification because, you know, you could easily sort of read this and just not understand or, or get really confused when you, when you hear heaven and, and, and earth will disappear. Yeah, because I think we we will we easily we can we can understand Earth will disappear, you know, and and especially when we're ingrained that we will we will leave this this Earth and we will go, but then to hear that and then sort of understand how you know the linkage and, and everything, I think that's a really good sort of um, to wrap out to wrap out heads and even even me sitting here, you know, asking asking questions and stuff, I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Around it, and, and it's like we've talked about before. It's those wrestles that we, that we have. Um, that even sometimes it's clear we still can wrestle with with it. Yeah, well, all in the Bible, sometimes heaven is just that the clouds and the the atmosphere and everything that's above the stars, and sometimes it's eternity. And even in that, God create in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. You know, and so there's this realm and, and it's loose language and that's where it does help to have done some language studies because you get a bit more of an insight to what it's talking about in a specific situation. But reading it as we read it, you're right, can be quite confusing. Mm. Yeah. And so, Kerry, did you want to look at the, the just before we, before we wrap up as we sort of got a couple more minutes, um, the verse 26 or part 26 of it. It was the, the, the Son of Man. Ah, yeah. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and authority. Yes, which is an Old Testament reference to the second coming of Jesus, um, the Son of Man being the name given for Jesus and that um, everyone will see that there won't be any question, you know, whether this is the Messiah or not because we will see him coming on the clouds with all the angels and in great power and um, and great authority and glory. Kind of gives you that, uh, remember in the first Avengers movie, you know, like how those aliens come out of like the sky in that wormhole. I'm kind of imagining like Jesus coming through a wormhole to come and pick <laughs> us up. <laughs> but it's I like that you say the second coming, really important, first time, birth, uh, baptism and death, like all of that's the atoning sacrifice. Like that's the first coming. There's going to be a second time and Jesus confirms that even in his teaching. There's a second time and uh, it's actually about anticipating and actually looking to that but not being caught up on that and focused on that. Because that's the whole point of the, if we just use that, Quickly, um, the the last part, which actually mm-hmm. is um, thirty two to thirty six, or um, around there, yes, which yes. is all about no Keep one watch. knows the, the the time or hour, and, and I think it's just incredible that even in such a union of the Trinity, Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, that only the Father knows this time. Uh, and so, if we quickly just read that, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son Himself. Only the Father knows. And this is talking about the Son of Man returning again. Uh, And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard and stay alert. Here we go. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. 
When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. Almost uh, interesting how it's like your sermon, this story Mm. here, Josh. You too must keep watch. That's an instruction. For you don't know when the master of the household will return in that evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. And I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. Not a literal sleep. If you're asleep, I'm sure you're not going to miss the blaring trumpets announcing the Lord's return again. But spiritually sleeping is the way to understand it. If you're content, apathetic, or even just miss completely your call from the Father, that's when you're asleep spiritually. Mm. And I think sort of to, to, as I was sort of thinking about it, Sort of a, an illustration, maybe for for us, is thinking of maybe when we were when we were younger, as and as if you were a kid, and your parents say you got to do this chore, but before I come home from work, but they haven't told you when you're going to come when they're going to come from. So you're sitting there going, I need to get you know like either two how, more hours of Xbox. Yeah, how how far can I push this? Or am I you know when you get to yeah you someone who gets it done straight away or you know and you want everything to sort of be impeccable for when your parent comes home and sort of then think about this illustration of, you know, we need to be ready and always um, for when it comes because we don't know when when that's come. So we don't don't want to slack off because if we're slacking off and arrives, you know, that's that's no good. Yeah, that's right. So these things are certain. Mm. It is certain that the Son of Man is going to return again, that there is a second coming, that we will be, be judged. That is a certainty. When it happens, we don't know. Mm. Um, and so there's that sense of, yeah, I've got to stay ready and not be apathetic. Okay, he hasn't come today, so oh, I'll just right, slack right. off a bit. Wait again till tomorrow. <laughs> but, you know, and I think like what you said on Sunday, Caleb, that is not to get hung up on the when. Um, and I think that and, and if we get hung up, we miss the point of it is actually we need to be always spiritually ready and, and spiritually active and, and continuing our, our work. Because even, even just thinking about it, it's, it's sort of good application just for everyday life. Being If you're outwardly always practicing the good, um, our own good works, our own fruit and being fruitful, um, you know, and not just, not just turning it on when we need to. Or, or, or when it's like, oh, he's coming. Let's. I just need to just do, do this one thing before you, you know, arrive because I can see you coming down the driveway. You know, I'm sure Jesus isn't coming down the driveway of your own home. But <laughs> and, and just as an absolute tangent, but something to leave people thinking on. Mm. In Revelation, which is another eschatological book, but it says when the Son of Man returns, the people that do not recognize him's heart will be as hard as stone and as cold as stone. So if you're still going, hang on, I need to do this one thing, uh, I'm kind of convinced that actually you recognize that that's Jesus and it's actually probably going to be a reflection on the reward in heaven because Jesus talks about that too in a different way. But, you know, in that sense, we understand. It's not going to be one which is like, uh, if you truly don't know who the Son of Man is, you're going to be there and you're going to actually be like, so what? Mm. Uh, and, and so even if you're in that position, the encouragement is don't be that person. Yes, yes. Live the diligent life and the vigilant life. Yeah. But there's, it's not a thing of despair if, no. if that's where you're at. 
And I think and I think that sort of calls harks back to a couple of weeks ago where we talked about where your heart is. Because that sort of says, well, where's your heart in, in that? If you're, you know, um, is if, where your heart is in it, and and being present and always always on. Because your heart, and if because if you're in that mindset, your your heart might not might not be in it, you know. And if it's as like stone when and you do not recognize, then then your heart wasn't in it. Any final thoughts, thoughts, queries, questions, as we sort of wrap this up. Well, I think it's interesting that Jesus has these um, difficult passages for us. And all throughout the Bible, there are references to the end times. So it's not like something that we should just simply ignore because it's too hard. Um, it's there for a reason. And and I think we need to read the passage and, and see what God is saying to us at the moment because these passages are living. God can speak to these speak to us through these words now and we just need to understand that that God is really telling us that there is a time that's coming when this earth will pass away. There will be a new earth. You know, you can get very down about all the terrible things that are happening in the world and you think, well, God's not acting. But throughout the Bible it's clear that there will come a time of reckoning and I think it's very important for us to recognise that and then live according to understanding that we don't know when, but we're excited for when you're going to bring it about, Lord. Mm. And that's kind of what I would elaborate on is that this isn't a message or a passage of fear. This is actually a passage of encouragement, of justice and of uh, the God that has divine providence is going to come in and elevate and lift up his elect is what the Bible uses in some version. But his people, he's going to lift up and and elevate those and bring justice for the persecution that came to them in that time. And he's going to be the one that actually uh, brings all the glory to you because of that uh, is I think the way it describes it. And so it's actually an encouragement. This isn't something of doom and gloom. It's not something of fear. It's not an anchor like that. This is actually an empowering passage. Amen. Amen. Well, if that's stirred, any questions, anything, because I'm sure there's more questions. We could sit here for ages. Keep, we keep going into it. Um, any questions, please send it to us and, and we'll endeavour to try and answer, answer them. Um, this Sunday... Um, Tune in because we've got another another passage before, and we're getting up to the pointy end. We're getting we're getting there. Um, but as grand we, finale, grand finale. But um, kick us off with a prayer, Josh. Gonna, I was going to ask you that. Oh, okay, I'll pray to, for us. Gotta, That's all right. You got to be quick though. <laughs> Lord God, we thank you for your word, and thank you for its living nature. We thank you that it's good for past, present, and future. And we just pray as. We continue to meditate and sit with your guidance in these passages that you will reveal aspects of yourself to us, you reveal ourselves to ourselves, and that uh, we will be able to move with you in a path of vigilance and diligence. We love you, God. Amen. 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 Thanks for watching. <laughs>